Chapter 9 of Life in the Sick Room Essays by an Invalid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Sick Room Essays by an Invalid by Harriet Martineau. Chapter 9 Some Perils and Pains of Invalidism. But few that court retirement are aware of half the tolls they must encounter there. Quote by Cowper. We are not to repine, but we may lawfully struggle. Quote by Johnson. I desire to notice, very briefly, some perils and pains of our condition, briefly premising that, as only the initiated can fully sympathize, it will be sufficient and therefore best to indicate rather than expatiate. We are in ever-growing danger of becoming too abstract, of losing our sympathy with passing emotions, and particularly with those shared by numbers. There was a time when we went to public worship with others, to the theatre, to public meetings, when we were present at picnic parties and other festivals, and heard general conversation every day of our lives. Now we are too apt to forget those times. The danger is, lest we should get to despise them, and to fancy ourselves superior to our former selves, because now we feel no social transports. A lesser danger is that of fearing to experience emotions. If a barrel organ makes itself heard from the street, or a salute on anniversaries from the castle, or a crowd gathers on the ridge to enjoy a regatta, what a strange thrill comes over us! What a shrinking from being moved! How we wonder when we recall some discourse whereby the voice of the preacher roused the souls of a multitude at once, or when we awake within us the echoes of some Easter anthem, or of the Hallelujah Chorus in Westminster Abbey, or when we image to ourselves a crowded theatre, when one tragic fear or horror bound together all the spirits that came for pleasure, when we try to imagine a flow of talk in which minds uttered themselves without thought of individuals, when we revive these scenes of our former lives, we gasp for breath, we wonder what we could have been made of to endure the excitement. We are certain that we should die on the spot if we encountered it now. It might be so, but we must remember that our present condition is the morbid one and not the former. We must keep up our sympathies as far as we may by cherishing such festal feelings as may survive, and ever remembering that our grave and solid and abstract life is adapted to only a portion of our nature, and that our exclusion from spontaneous emotions, from all experience of sympathetic transport, is a heavy misfortune under which it behooves us to humble ourselves." Those of us are well off who have, like myself, the advantage of some outward symbol which serves as communication between them and the world. Flags are my resource of this kind. Little do those who hoist them imagine how a hidden invalid appropriates their signals. The Union Jack on the flagstaff in the castle yard marks Sunday to me in a way I would not miss. When I look abroad on Sabbath mornings, it tells of rest and church-going, and it is a matter of serious business with me to see it brought down at sunset, a mute token in which there is more pathos than I could tell. 
and then the flags on the churches of the opposite shore on festal days tell me of a stirring holiday world make me hear again the park and tower guns show me fireworks and illuminations and arouse something of the hum and buzz of a gay and moving crowd once more the foreign flags hoisted by ships coming into port mere signals for pilots in intention speak unknown to anyone a world of things to me i learned them long ago by heart and with my heart when i see a foreign vessel come bounding towards the harbor and perceive the moment she hoists her flag whether she has cut across from a norway fjord or has contested her way from the levant or found a path from the far indies or brings greetings from some familiar american port what a boon is that flag to me sometimes i point my telescope to see the sailor's lips move in the utterance of a foreign tongue at all events i see in a moment the peaks of sulatelma or of the andes or the summits of the ghats or tropical sands or chilly pine forests spread before me or palmy west indian groves it is morally good and unspeakably refreshing to have some such instrumentality of signals with the world without as these flags are to me there is a corresponding danger though a less serious one in such sympathy as we have making us repine though we may go on from month to month without one momentary wish that things were otherwise with us than as they are yet on occasion once perhaps in a year some incident wakens a thrill of longing to be as we once were some notice of a concert or a picture brings up the associations of a london spring with all its intellectual and social pleasures or the mere mention of a lane or hedge at the moment the march sun is shining in recalls the first hunting for violets in our days of long walks or a foreign postmark in autumn transports us to alpine passes or the shores of italian lakes and a sickly longing for scenes we shall see no more comes over us but the reaction is so rapid and sure that there is little moral peril in this only the evanescent pain which gives place to that act of acquiescence which has in it more joy than can be gathered from all the lanes mountains and shores of the globe the occasional sense of our being too weak for the ordinary incidents of life is strangely distressing the cry of an infant makes us wretched for hours after in spite of every effort of reason i saw through my telescope two big boys worrying a little one and i could not look to see the end of it they were so far off that there was nothing to be done the distress to me was such the picture of the lives of the three boys was so vivid that i felt as if i had no reason nor courage left the same sort of distress recurred but in a more moderate degree when i saw a gentleman do a thing which i wish could dwell on his mind as it does upon mine i saw through the same telescope a gentleman pick up from the grass where children had been playing the moment before under the walls of the fort a gay harlequin one of those toy figures whose limbs jerk with a string he carried it to his party a lady and another gentleman sitting on a bench at the top of the rocks whose base the sea was washing when he had shown off the jerkings of the toy sufficiently he began to take aim with it as if to see how far he could throw 
he never will thought i throw that toy into the sea while there are stones lying all about within reach he did it away whirled harlequin through the air far into the sea below and there was no appearance of any remonstrance on the part of his companions i could not look again towards the grass to see the misery of the little owner of the toy on finding it gone there was no comfort in the air of genteel complacency with which the three gentry walked down from the rocks after this magnanimous deed how glad should i be if this page should ever meet the eye of any one of them and strike a late remorse into them to me the incident brought back the passions of my childhood the shock i have never got over to this hour on reading that too torturing story of miss edgeworth's about the footman who broke off all the bobbins and put them in his pocket rolled the weaving pillow down the dirty lane jumped up behind his lady's carriage and was out of sight in an instant i think these must be the words for they burnt themselves in upon my childish brain and have stirred me with passion many a time since as this harlequin adventure will ever do many will wonder at all this will despise such sensitiveness to trifles considering what deeds are done every day in the world they do not know the pains and penalties of sickness that is all and it may do them no harm to learn what they are while my fellow-sufferers may find some comfort in an honest recognition of them this sensitiveness takes worse directions however and inflicts more misery still it subjects some of us to a scrupulosity particularly about truth which brings endless troubles every mistake of fact that we happen to know of afflicts us as if we were responsible for it and more than it ought if we were so responsible we tend to an absurd restlessness to set everything right and of course above all what concerns ourselves if any kind friend pities us too much and praises us for our patience under sufferings which he supposes to be greater than we are actually enduring we remonstrate and explain as if his sympathy were not good for him and us at any rate and as if having told only truth ourselves it could matter much how our troubles are rated whether over or under we call up images of all who suffer far more than ourselves and implore him to go and pity them to honor them and not us if he smiles and answers well he will go and pity and honor them but he must be sorry for us too we smile also at our own scrupulosity though we see in it only a new symptom of disease there is yet a worse direction taken by this sensitiveness both morally and in experience worse though our observation of life encourages hope on the whole to a boundless extent both as to affairs and to human character it teaches some truths about individual characters which are almost too much for our weakened condition it may be absurd it may be wrong to be more afflicted about the faults and failings of the best and most beloved people than about the vices and gross follies of a lower order of men but such affliction is to us quite inevitable it is not wholly irrational for it is a melancholy sight to witness the encroachment of any bad habit of mind in those who should be outgrowing such bad habits instead of being mastered by them 
but we know it to be the common order of things that every man even the best carries about with him through life some fault or failing the shadowy side of his brightest quality if nothing worse and that it is the rarest thing in the world to see any strong tendency overcome after the age of resolution the youthful season of moral heroism is past yet knowing this it is not the less painful to witness it with the clearness and strength with which the spectacle offers itself to us on our post of observation while working in the world side by side with those whose doings we now contemplate we were willing to be deceived in each particular instance willing to expect that the judgment and action of those we loved and clung to would in each case be accordant with their best gifts and graces and however often disappointed we made allowance for the known frailty and inconsistently hoped it would be better next time we now see too clearly to be deceived with the discernment of love and the power of leisure we can accurately calculate the allowance to be made we can precisely measure the obliquity beforehand and save ourselves at least from disappointment but there is no solace in this there is more pain in the proof of the permanent character of faults permanence including inevitable growth than in perpetual new evidence of their existence more sorrow in our prophetic power now than in our credulous weakness of old the accurate readers of human character may be admired and envied for their infallible knowledge of how men will think and act but if they have a true heart love for those whom they watch they cannot much enjoy their power if they have not love neither can they be happy so that it requires a penetrative knowledge indeed into the ways of god as well as man for such skill to be reconcilable with peace and with our human affections it is a burdensome knowledge for us to wield in our weakened condition and one which it requires an ever-strengthening faith to convert into a nourisher of love the faults i have alluded to are such only as are compatible with general sincerity such as have a character of frailty those which include tendencies essentially low untruth double-dealing and selfish policy assume so disgusting an aspect when tested by the trying light and amidst the solemn leisure of the sick-room that it cannot be wrong to follow willingly the irresistible leadings of nature to dismiss them with loathing and invite to our arms the simple and heroic sincerity and the cheerful devotedness to the honor of god and the interests of man which here assume much of the radiance in which they come back in vision from beyond the grave if it be true that our moral taste becomes more sensitive in our seclusion i trust that such sensitiveness has not necessarily any fastidiousness in it but that its relish of good grows in full proportion to its discipline i trust that if its disgust deepens as the low and cowardly order of faults are stripped to nakedness so does its appreciation become more expanded and generous in regard to qualities which befit our heroic and aspiring nature and destination as for our best resource under the liabilities i have alluded to a mere reference will suffice whatsoever things are honest pure holy lovely to think on these things to fill our souls with conceptions of the godlike so that our sensitiveness may turn in time to a keen apprehension of all that is in affinity with these 
this is what we have to do partly for present solace and much more for the chance of converting our weakness into power our mortal discipline into a heavenly habitude as for the ordinary and familiar sufferings and dangers of our state the weariness of life which every one but the physician wonders at often as it is witnessed the longing for non-existence which some pious people who admit no bodily origin of any mental affection are very much shocked at the despair during protracted violent pain which however being dumb is seldom known at the moment these cannot be illustrated nor remedied by anything that can be said on paper one can only suggest to the sufferer and to wise nurses that in the power of ideas we are furnished with an implement of natural magic which may possibly operate at the most hopeless times it was in a sort of despair that the father of the lame child inconsiderately let out too far gave the boy his stick to ride home on whereupon the aching foot actually traversed the needful mile without being felt to ache so the wise nurse may possibly find that a nobler idea than any hope of rest or relief may reanimate a spirit under a far severer pain and assuredly there are some who could tell how in the midst of anguish the briefest suggestion of endurance the slightest spiritual touch upon deep filial affections has made a miraculous truce for them with torment and despair observers of the sick think very seriously of their liability to become wedded to their own ways and engrossed by their own occupations the fact is as they see it but it would be happy for us if we had no worse mistakes to apprehend those of the sequestered who may re-enter the world will be pretty sure to fall in love with new ways and employments and to feel a quite sufficient disgust with their own and if they are never to re-enter life is it not well for them that they can spend some energies which would otherwise be corrosive upon outward things if their souls are too narrow and purblind to live beyond the bounds of their abode the best thing for them is to get through the rest of their time as easily as they can in the way that suits them best if they are of a higher order their observers may be assured of two things that their investment of energy on the ways and occupations of their singular and trying life is no more than a needful absorption of a power which would otherwise destroy them and also that there is no fear of these things becoming indispensable to them or sufficient for them there are hours witnessed by no observers when they find it wise to desist from their most esteemed employments in condescension to their own weakness and recognize in this discipline the lesson of the day there are hours witnessed by no observers when the insufficiency of such objects is felt as keenly and pressingly as by the missionary on his way to the heathen or the prime minister with the interests of nations in the balance before his eyes or by the drowning man before whose soul life lies pictured in the instant of time which remains to him this liability though real is insignificant and transient compared with many others there is a safeguard against it too in our own weakness there is even for some a danger of growing absolutely idle from a sense of the littleness of what they can do formerly they acted on the rule not a day without a line and now thrown out of their habit by the absolute incapacity of some days and disheartened by the small show made by their utmost rational diligence 
they give up and do nothing, or nothing with regularity. This is a fearful danger. Nowhere are habits of regular employment more necessary than in such a life as ours. And if we cannot preserve the absolute erectness of rationality, if we must lean to the error of particularity or of indifference, I have no doubt of the former being the safer of the two, the least injurious and the most curable under a change of influences. One of our most humbling and trying liabilities I do not remember to have seen mentioned anywhere, though it is so common and so deeply felt that I have no doubt of a response from every sick prisoner of a considerate mind whose eye will fall upon this page. I mean our unfitness for doubtful moral enterprise. For doubtful moral enterprise, let it be observed. Where the case is clear, where the right appears to our own eyes to be all on one side, whatever may be on the other, moral enterprise becomes our best medicine. It becomes health and new life to us, as I have elsewhere said, be the responsibility and the immediate consequences to ourselves what they may. But when the case is not so clear, when we are pressed, as all conscientious people, sick or well, strong or feeble, are at times, by antagonist considerations of duty, we cannot, as in our vigorous days, take a part in some clear hour and strengthen ourselves to bear recurring doubts, and to take cheerfully even conviction of mistake, if experience should prove our conscientious decision to have been unsound. We are not in a condition to bear recurring doubts or to take cheerfully a conviction of moral mistake. Our duty in our depressed circumstances is to avoid such moral disturbance as we have not forced to quell. We must, in submission and compassion to our own weakness, evade a decision if we honestly can, and if we cannot, we must accept of help, human help and proceed upon the opinion of the soundest and most enlightened mind we can appeal to. If there are any who lift the eyebrows and shrug the shoulders at the supposition of this case, and declare that there is infallible direction to be found, in all particular cases, in the principles of religion, in answer to prayer, in the guidance of clergy, or the general opinion of mankind, I warn such that they will discover, sooner or later, that there is yet something for them to learn of morals, of the human mind, and of God's discipline of humanity. There is no point of which I am more sure than that it is unwise in sick people to keep a diary. Some suppose this task to be one of the duties of the sick room, whereas I am confident that it is one of the most dangerous of snares. The traveller, moving from scene to scene in high health and spirits, keeps a diary. He looks at it a few years after, and can scarcely believe his own eyes when he sees how many entries there are of his hunger, thirst, and sleepiness. He searches anxiously for a record of some fact, important to the determination of a truth in science, some fact of which he has a vague impression. He cannot find it, but finds in its stead that he was chilly on that morning, or went to bed hungry that night. If it be so in his case, how should the journal of a sick room avoid becoming a register of the changes of a morbid state? Not only this, but it can scarcely contain anything better. The experiencing and recording instruments themselves, the mind and body, are in a morbid condition, and cannot be trusted to perceive and record faithfully. Moreover, our tendency is, at the best, to an intense and growing self-consciousness, 
and our efforts should therefore be directed to having our minds called out of themselves to causing our days to pass away as little marked as possible a diary of public events a register of books read or of the opinions of those whose opinions are valuable on the great questions of the time may be more or less amusing and profitable to keep but then the rule should be absolute to exclude all mention of ourselves and my own belief is that it is wisest to avoid the temptation altogether to keep clear of all bondage to ourselves and to habit that can be declined i was unutterably moved lately by the reading of a diary preserved in m s of one of the most innocent holy and devoted of god's human children a creature who entered upon life endowed with good gifts spiritual intellectual and external and who wasted away in body dwindled away in mind and sank early to the grave clearly through the force given by superstition to a corroding self-consciousness to which she was by constitution liable her diary yields clear lessons which might profitably be made known but that they are not apparently recognized by those who had the charge of herself in life and hold her papers now among these lessons one is to our present purpose her diary became more and more a register of frames and feelings each mood of which was fearfully important to herself as a token of god's dispositions towards her to an eye which now reads the whole at once side by side with the dates and incidents of her life nothing can be clearer than that the risings and fallings of her spiritual state exactly corresponded with the condition of her health in one portion the record becomes almost too painful to be borne while her days were passed in heavenly deeds and her solitude in prayer she sinks daily lower and lower in hope and cheer and at last after a record of most mournful humiliation we find a notice which explains all of the breaking of a blood vessel to us it is nothing strange to experience fluctuations of more than spirits of heart and soul and to ascertain after a time that they were owing to physical causes we even anticipate these changes and know that when we awake in the morning we shall be harassed by such and such a thought that at such an hour of the day we shall suffer under remorse for such and such an old act and word or under fear of the consequences of conduct which at other seasons we know to be right we have that to tell of ourselves which seems as a key to the mournful diary i have mentioned this experience and such warnings as that which has so deeply moved me should teach us the wisdom and duty of not cherishing by recording our personal cares but rather of casting them upon him who careth for us the most fitting sick-room aspiration is to attain to a trusting carelessness as to what becomes of our poor dear selves while we become more and more engrossed by the vast interests which our father is conducting within our view from the birdie which builds under our eaves to the gradual gathering of the nations towards the fold of christ on the everlasting hills End of chapter nine